Welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series, or in this case, Batman Beyond. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Good, man. I got nothing. Great. Excellent. <laughs> Rounding out the end of the season on a strong, high-energy note. I got to tell you, I this this I feel like we've been doing this season forever. And yeah. uh, I think it's because it's twice as long as the first season. Right. And so it just it just feels like it's just been a, a much longer road. And also the episodes we haven't been like crazy about. Yeah. I've uh canceled a few times on YouTube, so I've been probably responsible for the lagging. <laughs> That's all right. It's uh, <laughs> it's not it's not that big uh the 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 stretches are, it's only we've only missed a couple weeks here and there, so it's not that bad. Right. But uh, today we are talking about the final two episodes of season two of Batman Beyond, which I think, fortunately, at least for me, I can say I think it goes out on a pretty high note. Um, we'll be doing Where's Terry and Ace in the Hole. And so uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with Where's Terry. Okay, where's Terry? Written by Rich Fogel, directed by Yukio Suzuki, and in this one, Shriek traps Batman in the abandoned tunnels beneath Neo-Gotham, intent on revenge, and Bruce must ally with Max to find him. Um, before we get into this, I do want to say one of the things that was frustrating uh, for me is that we, we've been watching these episodes and we've been kind of middling on a lot of them. And, you know, uh, we've been kind of, I don't know, feeling like the spark isn't there the way it was in the in the previous series. And I just happened to be watching, I was jumping back through a bit of um, Beware the Grey Ghost. Yeah. And I don't think I've watched any TAS stuff and since we finished doing that series. And boy, it is <laughs> night and day. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it, but... but TAS is just a completely different animal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I probably rewatch TAS once a year. I'll have it on in the background yeah. while I'm working. Uh, so, yeah, it's really hard to go through these Beyond episodes. And I, I know there's a whole generation of people that love this stuff, so I hate to, you know, <laughs> slaughter the fatted holy cow or whatever. But uh, I just think it's just not as good, just academically speaking. We'll stop, you know? Yeah, I mean, just the, I was I was just scrubbing through a bit of Grey Ghost, and just the color work alone <laughs> in that episode is, like, these episodes, the Batman Beyond stuff is fine, but, like, I think when they changed the animation style, it made everything just so much colder and more sterile, Yeah, and so the colors tend to kind of feel that way, too, where it's like, there's nothing bad about the coloring, but it's just not really... Um, in it, it, it just doesn't really feel that expressive. Yeah. Whereas, Gray Ghost is just like it's amazing. It's it's the the black and white stuff, the regular Gotham color stuff, the yeah. firelit Batman stuff. It all looks fantastic. Yeah, I I feel like it's so streamlined in Batman Beyond that there's yeah. something about about when you're experimenting. You get the good stuff, 
you know, you take big swings, you have some misses. But I think when any creative endeavor starts running like a well-oiled machine, and, you know, when this series was done, they've been doing these episodes for years, it just got so efficient at it that it just feels like it's much quicker and... I don't know. It's it's like, you know, when your favorite band releases their big first album, you're all excited because it's new, and then maybe the second one's pretty good. But, you know, after 15 years, it's really hard for them to come up with something really mind-blowing, you know? Yeah. There's something about yeah. efficiency, and the, the, by habit, they're doing it over and over, and maybe that's why TAS was so good, just because they were still finding themselves, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, this, they've been make this, more or less the same team has been making batman cartoons for eight years at this point i think this is 2000 2000 when this episode comes out yeah and uh tas started in 92 and so yeah i mean if you're just kind of doing the same thing i feel like the thing that we're feeling in this season especially is there's there seems to be a lot more of a formula that you can see easier um even in the ones that are, are a little bit more uh, inventive, I feel like you can still feel that formula where it's like they try to tell a little bit of an interesting story, but they can only get as much as they can get inside the small chunk they have that goes between big action sequences, you know? Yeah. Like, I'll be honest, with the, the next episode, uh, I really loved it, but I didn't care yeah. about the big mutant dog scene. I don't think that was right. Worth it. Right. Yeah. It's distracting. It's like it became really goofy when you really had what could have been like a Heart of Ice level story. Oh, definitely. But yeah. I don't mean to and this one the, too. Yeah. No, I think this one too is is interesting because it's. I thought this one was. This was definitely one of the better episodes that we'd watched this season. Yeah. Um, and I think what the reason that it is the, the reason that that is 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 not because of like the plot stuff because the plot stuff isn't really interesting but the little character moments you get throughout the episode are fantastic like the stuff with terry and the kid is 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 decent Mm -hmm. but the stuff with max and bruce is fantastic i loved all that stuff yeah yeah that was definitely the strongest bit of of that and you know i think you and i were opining for an episode where bruce and max have to work together and i think you pointed out that this one was on its way um, mm. I kind of wish they had done this one a little bit sooner. Yeah. Yeah, but the uh you know the, the uh the scenes they share are great. I I uh I mean there's nothing more it, This is a good Bruce and Max episode, but it's also might be the best straight up Bruce episode of the series so far because even though he's older, he's still just as you get to see he's still as wily as he has ever been whether it's the interrogation sequence or the the bit where it looks like he's going to trust max and then he just uses her as bait so he can slip down the tunnel which i thought was amazing yeah i know i guess i expected this episode to end with the two of them burying the hatchet uh and instead he tells he lies to terry and says yeah we worked it out look i had her arrested and you assume he'll great get her out of jail and they'll all have a laugh about it later, but they don't show you that. Right. It it took an unexpected twist at the end. Yeah. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great way to end it to, to keep them, keep their relationship still on its, on its, uh, on the edge. I thought it was very good. Um, I think the most unrealistic thing about this is that Bruce Wayne has a subway card. 
Because <laughs> I don't know on what planet Bruce Wayne would ever have like a a, 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 a Metro Pass. Yeah. The next episode bugs me because Bruce goes to a chiropractor and chiropractor is not science. <laughs> we just lost a huge contingent of our listenership. <laughs> uh, were you surprised to see Sh- Shriek in this episode? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, you- I, I was surprised. And I also, honestly, I don't know why he was there. Like I, 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 maybe I missed like the one line of dialogue where they explain what he's doing in the in the subway. But at yeah. the end, at the end of the episode, I was just thinking like, what the hell is? Sh- why was Shriek there? What was he doing? Right. Yeah, like it could have been the whole the bad guy could have been the tease, the gang. Sure. Yeah. Why well, are they know. called? Maybe he gets just stuck the down there. I we have <laughs> looked we looked this up before. Uh, T gang. And was uh, Shriek's assistant uh, someone that had splicing done? He looked like it, yes. Okay. Uh, the T's are... Uh, what's that? Do, 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 do. I, maybe not. I guess there's no real... I don't know. There might be some explanation, but I can't seem to find it quickly enough for it to not bore everybody. Um, just says, T's are street gang. And longtime enemies of the Jokers, all the members color their skin white except for their faces, which are colored red in the shape of a capital letter T, which is where they get their name from. So <laughs> that's that's it. They look right. they actually look a lot like um, it's the same design as the uh, uh, I can't remember what year he got the redesign, but the character Mr. Terrific. Um, yeah. But I do not think that they are related to Mr. Terrific in any way. But uh, Mr. Did he show up? He looks like he showed up on the animated series at some point, but um, just generally, he's got this. When, uh, uh, I'll send you a picture if you're interested. When, when I did um, Beyond the White Knight, I had the Azrael gang sort of use this look. They have their faces painted like the red part of Azrael's mask. Right, yeah. And uh, it was sort of a nod to this gang, which I didn't really have much context for, um, but I don't think I them enough for most people did not catch it at all when they were reading volume three mm. should have been a big red a <laughs> uh, but yeah that? yeah you just sent me oh yeah the t on that's, his face yeah, okay mr mr terrific yeah mr terrific um, why does he have a fair play jacket on you know that's just always been his thing i'm not really sure what the the etymology of that is but like because okay. uh his original costume, he wore this big thing on his chest that said fair play. And uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, that's just, yeah. he's just a stickler for the rules, I guess. I guess so, yeah. <clears throat> but but yeah, um, I, go ahead. Did we get any context on this kid that was in the subway? No. The, the only bit of context that you kind of get, that you kind of have to do the legwork on in your own brain is that I think he's a rich kid based on his name, which is like Darius something, something like a big, long, rich kid name. But aside from that, it doesn't sound like... The, I don't think we get any background on him or, or where he's yeah. off to afterwards or what. Do you think? Why do you think rich people name their kids longer names? It's just a, just a history. <clears throat> like I, Let's put it this way. I knew someone in college who uh was like a crust punk gutter punk type kid 
Yeah. And he had an abbreviated name, like a short kind of cool name with uh, with letters. And I'm not going to say what it is because, you know, I don't want to blow, blow up a spot. But I was I always thought, oh, that's a interesting name. And then someone explained to me that, no, his name is this much longer, like old money English name and that oh, his yeah. family is is rich and like lived, uh, you know, so had a lot of land in, in New Jersey or something. And I was like, ah, OK. Right. <clears throat> when so, I moved into a. Uh... This neighborhood I live in, in Portland, it's basically like all these old mansions and captain's houses and bankers built them back Mm -hmm. in the day. It's probably one of the most valuable neighborhoods in the entire state. And uh, my neighbor's name is Constance Bloomfield. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And uh, it sounds like a name you'd make up for like the evil woman across the street. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I'll say for the most part, she totally is named correctly. She's rat- ratting on me when I'm doing work for the Historic Society, like making sure I'm following code and just making it hard for me to get stuff done. And she's just like a little arrogant. And please don't contact her anybody. <laughs> that definitely is the name of a, of a villain from a YA novel, novel I think. <laughs> yeah. It was either that or Cruella de Vil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, how do, what, do you, what do you think about the use of Shriek? Do you think they just picked a villain out of a hat here? You know, the more that we talk about this episode, the less I like it. Yeah. Because I don't think... It just feels a little bit lazy. Like, the concept mm-hmm. is cool. Batman's missing. And Terry and Bruce... Uh, sorry. Uh, Bruce and Max have to work together. Like, that's great. But we don't get any context for this kid. We don't know who the T's are. Suddenly, Shriek is thrown in for no reason. I don't know, man. I think, like, the, the concept didn't follow through to the end product. Yeah. I think... I think it would probably it could be a bit stronger if they took Shriek out of it and just had it be about Terry and the kid trying to escape and yeah. Max and Bruce having to work together to find him. I don't know if you need the the um <clears throat> the villain of it all, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh it's funny cuz I as as I was watching this seeing Shriek and the way he was used, I couldn't help but think of the Red Hood book that we did. Where we use Shriek in kind of a similar manner, but in our book, the whole point was that Shriek specifically wasn't doing anything, and Gan just blows up his spot and like forces him to act. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this one, he's down there doing something. I'm not really <laughs> sure what it is, and then uh, he just kind of gets arrested at the end. Yeah, they do have that one cool shot though, where he does the sound wave thing like around four corners, which looked really cool. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, he was kind of a waste of a character. And I like Shriek. Yeah. I wish they did. I guess this is his last appearance until he shows up in an episode of Justice League briefly, I think. Oh. I wish this episode didn't have Terry in it. I think he should have just been missing. And then we follow Bruce and Max the whole time. And we learn. Yeah. He's like teaching her. Like, I want way more of that. Like, the, telling me that Kit Terry's hanging out with this runaway kid in the sewer and hitting all these dead ends. Like, I don't care about that. Especially because you haven't even bothered to explain to me who this kid is or why he's important. And then tossing Shriek in there, it's like, I don't care about any of this. Get back to Bruce and Max. Like, that's your episode. But I can see the suits going like, I don't know. The kids really want to see Perry and Batman. Well, it's funny because I think in in TAS, this would have just been Bruce. If this was a TAS episode, I think this would have just been Bruce and Max the whole time. I think they would have stuck to the guns and just done focused on the two of them trying to find Terry because that because that's like the tension of the episode right it's like what the hell happened to him nobody knows where he is he's this 
uh, subway tunnel is collapsing or whatever. They have to find it. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Like they and they they have all this room to do some of these great character bits. Like I, one of my favorite bits of animation I think I've seen on the show is when Max and Bruce are in the subway and the T's walk by in the background and you see Bruce like clutch his cane closer to his chest like he's worried about these guys Hmm. and it's it's a bit a little bit of visual storytelling that I kind of feel like they don't do that much on this show anymore and I really really liked it it was a really nice little detail yeah I didn't notice that one yeah ah man I don't know how to feel about this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a tough one because I think it's almost great. Um, like, th- there's great stuff in it, but I, I agree. I think I think the episode was is Max and Bruce, and I think you could definitely get away with just focusing on them. Yeah. Oh man, I was gonna say four, but now I'm at a three. Yeah, I was too. I was thinking four as well. Uh, yeah, I think I'm probably gonna go three. If I'm gonna be a be a cheapskate and say high three, not that we write these yeah. down anywhere or anything, but I want these to be fours. Like I don't want to be cheap with my like I'm willing to right. forgive a lot in order to get a four out of one of these. <laughs> um, I definitely would love to draw um, <clears throat> Terry in the subway. Like I really like drawing caverns and underground tunnels. Especially mm-hmm. if you have like a water element, like waterfall or um, like a big um, ravine or cavernous plummet pipes and stuff. I don't know why. I just really love that stuff. I think I just yeah. like the narrow scope of those set pieces, you know? Yeah, yeah. No rulers necessary for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, drawing water is kind of a bitch, but uh, mm-hmm. I drew so much of it in the wake that I kind of got through my water uh, training, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff is tough. I know we've talked about it before, but there's there's so many different elements to it. Yeah. That uh in different parts of the water and the way that it hits and the way that it moves that it can be very very difficult to figure out exactly how you want to, how you want to uh illustrate it. Yeah. You know, I was um inking some rocks and boulders recently and uh I've been inking them the same way forever. Like I don't think I've really looked at photo references of rocks, cliffs or anything for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I just have this distinct way. I sort of use a dry brush and I'll use some uh, ProQuill to make it look like one of these rocks was beat with a bat, so there's like dents in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do mm-hmm. like a layer of fingerprints on them and add some trees around it or whatever. And like that's the Sean Murphy rock. And I was trying <laughs> to think of ways to like make them better. Like, man, maybe I should start, you know, referencing rocks and stuff where I've been playing this cheap game <laughs> with rocks for years now. And a buddy of mine was looking at my work, and he's like, no, man, people love your rocks. Like, really? He goes, yeah, well, you're not wrong, but, like, people, they, you can recognize the Sean Murphy page just by looking at the rock. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess that makes my life easier. Yeah. you uh, Just do do a book that's, um, <laughs> I don't know, t- you, takes place in the desert in a way that that's the only setting, so you'd have to find a way to, <laughs> to redefine the different kinds of rocks. Yeah, it's true. Just you to stop enough. yourself from going nuts. Like, I, I had a quick uh, cactus tree that I would be able to draw very easily. And if I'm doing, like, a quick one-panel flashback to a desert, I can just throw in the, whatever. It's a fucking cactus. 
but when I'm doing Zorro now, and it's a book that takes takes place in the desert, so I'm like, yeah, fine, I'll look up different types of cacti and make sure they look better. Yeah, do something that takes place on like an English beach, one of those beaches that's just all rocks. <laughs> Or like uh, Portland. Yeah, Portland's got a lot of those beaches. Like uh, just five different kinds, ten different kinds of rocks all smushed together against like some dirt and stuff. You uh, have a trick to your rocks. That sounds like a great great book. Uh, Not really. I feel like every time I draw rocks, I think I have a trick and then I realize I don't. And I end up looking up some sort of reference. Most of my tricks for rocks are just where the light source hits. Yeah. So if I've got some rocks on the ground, I just go, all right, black out the back of it, put a little couple little spots on it so it looks like the there's cracks or something, and then kind of go yeah. about my day. Yeah. <laughs> rocks are always one of those things where when I try, when I rough in the shapes, afterwards I realize that this is not what an an, an earth rock looks like. Right. For, for whatever reason, it always, like, the, the way it, it points out feels weird or, like, doesn't make any sense. So I always end up having to, to, to think about my rocks more than I would like to. What other podcast people going to find where people talk about rocks in this detail? Comics. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> that's, how, that's how thrilled we are with these episodes of Star, of, uh, Star what the hell are we watching here? Batman? <laughs> Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, that too. Oh, man. I, I, uh... I was talking to Wes about this show, and he said uh, about putting up the next one or getting close to the end of the season or something. And he he said, "Yeah, I can tell you guys aren't really liking the season, but by, uh, by how quickly you guys diverge into something else." Oh, does he episode. listen to all these? I think he listens to a bunch of them. I don't know if he listens all the way through or just kind of wow. like skips through when he's putting them up or whatever. I'm but. impressed, man. I mean, maybe he wants to make sure we're not running like an, a YouTube sex ring or something on his channel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think the the views are high enough for that to be the case. But <laughs> uh you said you said you wanted to draw the the tunnel, right? Yeah, the, um, the tunnel water type stuff. Uh what the hell would I want to draw? I, I actually really like that scene where uh, Bruce and Max g- uh, go up against the T-Gang. Yeah. I, I really like the way that it plays out because Bruce goes in by himself and you kind of have this uh, feeling that, oh, well, he's Bruce Wayne. Obviously, he's going to beat the shit out of these guys. Mm-hmm. But then they get the jump on him, which requires Max to come in and, and help him out. But then he puts on the Batman jets at the end and interrogates the guy but i i think that that there's some nice fun storytelling you could do in there as far as that whole sequence i think that would be a lot of fun yeah that's a good answer too actually about that scene either that or the the his uh oh no his 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 limo doesn't really show up in this episode every time i can't get over that limo that just looks like it has a big glowing ball sack on the front of it even though i know it's the the, the Batmobile flipped upside down, basically, but there's just something about it that feels very strange to me. Oh, I never noticed it. Yeah. You might have ruined it for me now. <laughs> I love when uh, a lot of these cars come to a screeching halt. You'll hear tire noises, but they're all floating. <laughs> yeah, even though they're floating over cars. Yeah. yeah. You'll, it happens in the next episode, too, when uh, Ace smacks into a car. You know, it's funny how that stuff registers but it doesn't register you know yeah. and how yeah it would feel weird if the sound wasn't there <laughs> like i remember um listening to the commentary on the simpsons well i can't remember what episode it was but matt Groening was talking about how 
every time they cut to an exterior shot of the nuclear power plant, there's a crow noise that you make. They make a uh, there's a just a, a bird noise in the background of a crow. Mm-hmm. And he said the first time that they did it, there were two cro- two crows in a row. So it was like a caw caw. And he was like, no, that's too many. Just take take one of them out so it's just one crow. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it's like, yeah, two crows sounds weird, but one crow sounds right mm. for this completely arbitrary exterior shot of, of the nuclear power yeah. plant. It's just so it's so interesting how this stuff lands with the ear and the yeah. eye, depending on what it is. I bet sound design is one of the most unappreciated art forms in entertainment. Oh, ap- I'll absolutely. bet sound yeah. designers get fucked up after work complaining about people not appreciating how hard it is to do their job you know yeah yeah i bet it's one of those things where if it's done right you're not supposed to notice it at all or exactly people think that you just record and whatever bird sounds are in the forest that's what makes onto film they don't think about the fact that you have to redo almost literally every single sound in the entire film you know like you only notice it when it's wrong (laughs) right yeah, I, I I imagine like the sound guys get together and they talk about how whoever's working on like the Quiet Place movies are a bunch of hacks because <laughs> like it's so at the forefront. It's like that doesn't take any talent. All you get, you know, that's the whole movie. Yeah, the real talent, the real talent is guys like us who go out and record animal sounds that we then slow down to one quarter speed to make a new way of having a door creak open in the background right. you know yeah. that's the real shit when uh i was uh my first year in college i was at mass art and i was an animation major because i had to pick something and uh <laughs> flash wasn't around yet so we were using a program called director and uh mm-hmm. it was really bad low-key and i was making these cartoons these animations or whatever and i would just use my own voice in a microphone and you could like speed it up, slow it down, chop it up. I mean, and it's amazing what the human voice can do. Like, I got pretty decent sounding machine guns just playing with my own voice. Like, nice. I'm not, I'm not the guy from Police Academy, but you know what I mean. Like, just <laughs> tweaking it in a very simple program, you can get a ton of different sounds. Just, yeah. Did you get? Did your teacher ever come over and tell you that you had a problem with your bleeps, your sweeps, and your creeps? <laughs> Oh yeah, man. good um, one. <laughs> the what? The what? The what? <laughs> yeah, I have you ever seen the the behind the scenes stuff of how Ben Burt, I believe it was, recorded the sounds for Star Wars? Yeah, all those iconic noises. It's it's wild because it's like he would go out and just record the strangest things. Like I think. Uh, I don't know if it's the the sound of the door opening or, or or one of the blaster hits or maybe it's the lightsaber powering up yeah. is like the sound of a heated up frying pan touching cold water. Uh-huh. And so he just puts a microphone in there and you get that really weird like squeaky hiss noise. Yeah. That comes when, you know, you you touch those two things together or I know there's one that was like yeah. the sound of a vibrating telephone wire or something like that it's just it's crazy when you get these guys who actually yeah i'm sure a lot of them do it but they go out there and just create these sounds for things using things that you would not even believe totally i remember uh i saw something that they were these were gun blast noises back in the 70s and 80s they used to use like some kind of a boom tube um echo thing 
I don't know exactly how they did it, but it made the sound. You would all know it. I'm going to do a bad impression right now, but it was just like, chow, chow. Like every gun oh, basically sure. sounded that way. About, Any yeah. reflected thing from He-Man sounded, it's like the same sound effect. And there was a specific type boom tomb that they would use for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's wild though. Some of the like crinkled paper somehow sounds like cutting meat and things that you never would mm-hmm. put together, you know? Yeah. It's always, I love the, like the bones breaking is, uh, is like people, snapping celery in half yeah, or whatever that's, that's shit like that so yeah, there's very fascinating you know this comedian brian regan yes i do so he did a bit about um golf uh shows are so quiet but they one of the viewers realized they were piping in fake bird noises <laughs> <laughs> and he heard a bird noise that was not indigenous to that part of georgia that year at all and he wrote nice. in an angry letter to the station or made an angry phone call. <laughs> and he did this whole bit about what it was like to be the operator, like getting this phone call. Uh, if you just Google Brian Regan, bird noise, whatever, you might find it. Uh, I can't do it justice, but it is hilarious. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sound sound design. Very important. Very yep, huge. Shriek, you know, Shriek would enjoy that we're talking about sound design more than yeah. we're talking about his contribution to this episode. I still don't understand um, why he looks like he's high. He looks like a uh, he OD'd or something with the bags under his he does. eyes. Something. He does. He looks like he's a really tired stoner, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of late, late nights playing with you know gigahertz and megahertz and whatever. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Chasing that dragon, you know? Yeah. I you know, Not to pat myself on the back, but uh, one of the details that I, I wrote into Red Hood that I, I thought was very clever uh, because Shriek is a sound-based villain, obviously, mm-hmm. and which is very difficult to do in a comic book medium. So the sound effect that I wrote in for his blasters was uh, uh, in a, a drawn-out OHMS, which is a uh, sound term. I'm not exactly sure what it what is. It, it's on the back of all my amplifiers, but oh, it's, cool. a, it's a sound t- term. Uh, that stands for, you know what, I may as well look it up if I'm talking about it. Yeah, I'm a big shot. You want to pat yourself <clears> on the uh, back, let's go all the way. The uh, It's a measurement of resistance between two points of a conductor when a constant potential difference of one volt is applied to those points and a current of one ampere is produced. In mm. simpler terms, it's the equivalent of one volt, for, one volt per one ampere. So I don't know what any of that means. But it's uh, uh, it's but a unit it. of electrical resistance in the international system of units. So it might not even be a sound thing. It's probably just an electrical thing. But since I've seen it constantly on the back of every amplifier that I've ever owned, yeah. I, I figured that would be a great sound to use for him because what does Shriek's blaster sound like in the comic book world? I would have been lazy and just written S O U N D D D D D D D D D, but with a really cool font. Yeah, that would work too. Yeah, just like loud L O O O O U D. It's funny. The some of the crazy. I mean, when you're making sound effects, usually you're doing it at the end of the issue while you're wrapping up. You're like, all right, we got guns going off. How many times can I use bang? What right. is the machine gun sound? How do I get like into uh, a comic book? And uh, yeah, it's funny. Again, it's sort of like the sound design of comics because I don't think anyone actually reads what the sound effect is. Their brain just registered 
that there is a sound going off and they move on, which is probably great. But yeah, like there is, I was trying to explain sound effects to my wife and I sounded like an idiot. <laughs> I don't know if there's really like a science to it. Yeah, it's it's strange because you, you have to, you think about like what the sound you want is and it's like, okay, I want crack, but I want something a little bit more yeah. like harder edged. How do I get that? What if instead of the C, I use a K? Yep. And instead of the second C, I use another A. So it's K-R-A-A-K. Yeah. That, there, there we go. That yeah. gets it. And you know, the, word, the letter K is a nice pointy uh, letter. So it adds mm. to the angularity. And there's a reason why, for me, I'll get rid of CK. Just go with double Ks instead. Yeah. Um, so it's little dumb things like that. Like, I don't know if anyone really pays attention. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used yeah, to do... I, I, I had a guy pour a cup of coffee once in Batman, and the sound effect mm-hmm. is C O F F E E, but really like a slinky type um, design coming out of a coffee cup. And nice. uh, I don't think anyone ever really noticed it, but uh, I don't know. I I, fun, I find that stuff really fun because it's like, yeah, I take this job very seriously. Sometimes I don't, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> well, there's certain there's certain places, right, where like yeah. the word punt sounds like a sound effect it sounds like it's onomatopoeia is that the word is onomatopoeia yeah so like if you i've seen you do that where you somebody kicks something and you write in punt or something like that. yeah i've written punch uh next to someone getting punched (laughs) yeah why not it's it sounds like a sound effect as much as it sounds like an action why not uh i've seen in a comic once there was a character uh clicking a gun and the artist drew out in really cool font click it a pistol (laughs) <laughs> but it, it worked really well. Uh, this is Andrew Robinson, who's, who's a genius. Like, click, dash, of, dash, duh, D-A, dash, pistol, with no L. And it was like, nice. it fit the style of the comic so well. I'm like, God, man, that's brilliant. That's the thing, though, right? It, it, it just needs to match the style of, of the tone of what you do, right? Yeah. It doesn't need and the to The beauty be... is, I, I love stuff that comics can do that no other medium can. And that is one of them right there, you know, playing with sound yeah, effects. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? I'm surprised we got such a deep uh, topic of discussion based off this episode. <laughs> we got to find something in, in the, the, the gunt of season two of Batman Beyond. You know, gunt would be a good sound effect. It would be a great sound effect. Like when you kick a fat woman between the legs. Or, you know, just anybody in the stomach. <laughs> Don't dodge my offensive joke. Yeah, you know, I'm just, you know. Just letting it hang. Anyway, uh, I think we're done with this episode. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Ace in the Hole. Okay, Ace in the Hole, written by Hillary J. Bader, directed by James Tucker, and in this one, when Ace goes missing, Bruce remembers the origin of his pet canine. Terry discovers an underground dog fighting organization. Note, this episode, while officially part of Season 3, was released as part of the Season 2 DVD box set. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Screwing up our whole shit here. Anyway, um, I thought this episode was great. I, I agree with what you said earlier. I do think that like the dog, giant monster dog at the end is probably a bit much but but aside from that the actual story they're telling i thought was very good yeah honestly i would draw this whole episode yeah 
there isn't a single moment except for the end where uh yeah there's so much great stuff happening here you could almost do it silently you know without any more balloon the whole issue just oh awesome definitely sound effects. yeah um yeah especially you know you add in the snow and christmas and all that um it's funny when i i look this episode up and it describes how bruce met ace and it says bruce goes to crime alley to give his parents flowers and uh, is attacked by a Joker or something. And I'm like, whoa, this is a flashback to where Bruce is still Batman and Joker makes an appearance? Like, this is mm-hmm. awesome. And that's not what the episode was at all. <laughs> no, no. he gets. It was just a clown from the theater yeah. who decided to attack Bruce. Just jumped by a rogue Pagliacci. Yeah. I did. You got to watch out for those guys, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was re-watching Seinfeld recently and there was another rogue Pagliacci Pagliacci in that one too. That was like ninja oh, kicking. That's right. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I think um, this is this is really good. I, th- I I'm curious what happened to uh, Bruce's driver from that era. Apparently, he didn't stick around too long. Um, yeah, that it did catch me off guard because to see someone who wasn't Terry or Alfred driving the car yeah. was yeah. strange. So obviously, they're in this period of time where alfred has i assume died that you know uh, what i would have made it bruce driving himself alone yeah yeah i guess yeah. there's really no reason to have that driver right no bruce can still drive um yeah i think it's stronger if he drove himself at that moment i mean when the driver locks the doors because he's afraid like i get that's an interesting indicator of prime alley but it just added some confusion like, who the fuck is this guy <laughs> no yeah like, that seat in that car is reserved for two people only, and you ain't one of them. <laughs> well, see, now it's a perfect opportunity to bring back the uh, Bruce's driver as a villain somewhere down the line, where he has some, uh, didn't get his full Christmas bonus or something one year, and he went insane <laughs> and became a Batman villain. If Bruce fires somebody, what do you think his reason usually is? I feel like as he gets older, people are probably quitting more than he's firing them. That's fair. I I feel like, because, you know, I'm assuming everybody who is after Alfred, he is just comparing to Alfred, and that's an impossibly high standard to live up to. So he's probably, they're probably just cutting their losses and... and, and, Yeah. Imagine Bruce having to replace Alfred. Like, go and hire a new dad. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about a younger dad. Yeah, like dad that's younger than you. It's not as good as the old dad. Wasn't there to take care. Of. Yeah, I thought about talk about a thankless job. Yeah, especially in the future where I'm sure the the concept of the butler probably is well <laughs> out of date. It's probably a little antiquated and a little racist, maybe. Could argue. <laughs> yeah, depending on a, a few factors, probably sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought this one was really good. This was, I would say this is probably the best episode of the season, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no uh, no doubt. Now, is it is it cheating, though? Because, I mean, come on, it's a, yeah, it's a, a dog getting zapped and beat up and then getting... I feel like it's almost cheating. Like, how do you do that episode and not have people go, oh my god, it was so good. Yeah. It was so good. Ace, he's so... It was so heartbreaking what happened to Ace. Like, yeah, of course. He's a fucking dog. Yeah. I mean, any kind of story you do about Ace, especially when he's a cute little puppy, is going to be a yes. slam dunk. 
But I yeah. think that the idea of him being used in dog fighting uh, and him having crossed paths with this guy over and over over the years is, is kind of mm-hmm. interesting. That's a little above and beyond what I would have thought they would have done. Um, especially when the guy gets Ace back third time. It's like, you know, man, you and I are destined for each other or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Boxer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... I think it's. I, I don't think it's too too much cheating. I think they tell a good story. I think it's it's yeah. uh, <clears throat> driven by Ace, which is good. Um, the only thing that I <laughs> I found kind of strange. How did you feel about Bruce being like, "Don't worry about Ace. He'll be fine." Because it, it <laughs> I I couldn't decide if I. I don't know. He seemed pretty concerned, but he also didn't seem concerned at all. So I wasn't really sure how to take it. I think Bruce was lying to himself because he didn't want to yeah. believe Ace is in trouble. But I think that they could have that uh, given that more context. You know, yeah. Terry could have said, you know, I know you're pretending that he's fine, but I know you're worried about him. You know, something like that. Yeah. I, I can see I could see Bruce putting up a front being like, Do you think I would have a dog who couldn't take care of himself on the street? Right. He's probably he's back if he could fit in that Batman suit, I'd put it on him, you son of a bitch. Right. Or it could be a metaphor uh, of, uh, you know, Ace getting older and not being as capable as he once was, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. No, that would be, now that's the unfair episode. Not only is it about Ace getting yeah. zapped and tortured, but he's like <laughs> on his last legs. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, did, I also didn't like Terry being swallowed by the dog and then being regurgitated. When Ace yeah, that was kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I, it just I really felt like liked the suits were like, we need a big action piece here, guys. This is a good yeah. show. And like that's, I think that's when they're talking down to the audience. Yeah, I, I think, I think the better, uh, what's the word? The better conclusion would be something similar to that Robin episode from from TAS, but yeah. with Ace in the Robin position, where it's like, basically, you don't know if Ace is going to kill this guy. Right. And he, you know, backs him up to the ledge or whatever and Terry has to try and talk him down or, or whatever it is. But just, just putting it back on Ace and his story instead of this ridiculous gigantic honestly you know what I just kept thinking? Have you are are you watching the newest season of what we do in the shadows? Uh not yet. Okay. Well, I won't go too far into it, but uh what I couldn't help thinking as I was watching this episode was, what the hell are they going to do with these giant mutant dogs? Are they going to have to put all these dogs down? Like, what what do you do with this 25-foot HGH juiced-up dog? Yeah. you. Yeah, you break it up into a cement mixer and serve it to pigs. I I guess I don't I don't know, but it's 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 very sad. Either yeah. however you look at it, I just kept thinking about how how awful it was for whatever for these fictional cartoon dogs. I do like that they went back to the stack deck bar. Yes, that's a total yeah. throwback to uh, TAS, of course. Mm-hmm. I uh, I like that uh, they were doing dog fighting in an abandoned Gotham Gardens arena. Mm-hmm. Because my first thought was, oh, I didn't realize that they could just do this in such a reputable place. But once that once they went inside, it clearly hadn't been used in a while. Yeah, it has. To, it was like an abandoned wrestling. I bet you got all yeah, excited for were, that part. 
<laughs> well, no, there was no ropes, so. And it was dogs, not humans. Um, I thought the dog animation was great. I thought the animation on Ace was really good. Yeah. I loved the scene where he jumps up onto the glass and, like, kind of onto the big bubble to save Terry. Yeah, he looked a little human. Kind of scrambles his way. Yeah, Yeah. he, like, uses his thumbs and grabs the edge. (laughs) Yeah, he just grabs the edge of the lip with his his dog paws. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, I was going to ask you what you were going to rate this one. Um, at least a four. It's at least a four. I don't know if it's a five. I think it's probably a Batman Beyond five, but I don't know if it's a a Paul Dini, Bruce Tim universe five as a whole. You know what I mean? It's no Paul Dini joint. Yeah, yeah, it's it's missing it's missing just a little bit of magic to really put it over the edge for me, I think. Yeah. I think a beyond five is a good way to describe it. In fact, I wish we had come up with that that handicaps rating system earlier. Because I think we would have gotten more <laughs> fours and fives this whole time, but we're pairing it to Heart of Ice. <laughs> it honestly, that's something Wes and I go back and forth on a lot because when I when I rate the Star Trek episodes, I try to I end up rating them not on a hard and fast scale. Like it, it ends up being like, okay, is this a is this a five for a Voyager episode versus is this Voyager episode a five compared to yeah. the best of the entire franchise? You know, yeah. Um, whereas he does it a lot more, tries to do it a lot more objectively as a whole. But it's tough because it's if. <laughs> I feel like if you're getting into a lesser uh, series, whether it's, you know, quote unquote lesser, whether it's this or like Enterprise or something, I feel like you kind of have to slide your scale a little bit. um, So you're just not coming out disgruntled every week. Yeah, I think that would be more interesting for readers, too. Uh, You know, if every rating at the end is a three over and over and over, it's just not as fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's most of my ratings of season three of Voyager, I think, is yeah. three, threes. Yeah, hang in there, man. Uh, yeah, we're we're getting there. We're we're coming around. I think we're in the back half of season three. This is another one where I feel like we've been doing this forever, but we got broken up. We've been doing Deadwood as well, and we got uh, slowed down by Picard. Slowed us down quite a bit. Um, so, but we're we're back into it now. So I think we're ra- we're coming up to the end of season three. So you, the, the Borg, the Borg season. have showed up. Oh yeah, yeah, I got to that episode. Uh, see, the Strange New World stuff has been pretty good this season. Oh, has it? Yeah, we, yeah. We haven't done that. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by a few of the episodes, but uh, I don't want to go nice. on in and vouch for it. it might be mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I'm. I'm really looking forward to to catching the uh, the lower decks crossover. Oh yeah, because that seemed like it was a lot of fun. Yeah. When is that out? Is that out yet? Yeah, the whole the whole season's already over, I think. Okay. Yeah, my friend listens to uh, Critical Role. Uh, one of the actors is in it, so he was talking about oh, nice. how they had to sew her sleeves up permanently. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, in the cartoon, her sleeves are rolled up all the time, and for continuity's mm-hmm. sake, when you film live action, 
They didn't want you to just, just roll your sleeves up. They sewed the costume so the sleeves would always look the same as they were rolled up, just yeah, for continuity. So I thought that was makes a lot of sense. Put it that way, I guess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Huh. Um, so, do you have any anything else you want to say about Ace in the Hole? I, nope. It's it's weird because I feel like we talked a bit more about the last one, but this one is a better episode. But we didn't quite have as much to say. What would you want to draw from this? Honestly, the whole thing up till the stupid yeah, dog. that's right. You said that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually wouldn't mind. I think, um, in a vacuum, drawing the fight with the giant dog would be pretty fun. But uh, I would like to do that as something separate from this story because I don't think this story needs a giant dog. Can we talk about uh, how so, uh, chiropractors are full of shit, not real doctors? <laughs> <laughs> Save it for Patreon. Okay. Uh, so, what what are your thoughts on season two as a whole? Now that we've we've finished up season two. Yeah, a lot of threes, you know. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, everything seems kind of down the middle. Fine. Yeah. Nothing really setting us on fire. Um, I wish that wasn't the case. Yeah. And I don't know. I it, I keep. The, the ones that excited me the most were the ones that had kernels of really good ideas, even regardless of whether or not they followed through. And I think the fact that they didn't follow through in a lot of them yeah. made the season that much more frustrating. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I feel that way a lot. Um, and I feel like you've been saying that a lot about Voyager podcast. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's like you want to give something higher point because it is a kernel of a great idea there. But when they drop the ball on it, someone's like, you want to deduct it, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like this season is, because we've been doing this so long, I, I don't remember a ton of it because, you know, this stuff just goes in one eyeball and not the other these days. <laughs> but uh, do you feel like they they were leaning too much? Do you think in this series, let's put it this way, do you think in this series they lean too much on the sci-fi stuff without really giving it a good story to hang it on? Yeah, they're too obsessed with flying cars and laser beams and not thinking enough about true plot i think that's fair you know and it's frustrating yeah, I feel like, both. like the vr thing you get a right. great vr visual got people wanting to escape their problems like you know that that's two birds with one stone but when you focus too much on the gimmick of the sci-fi element you don't put any like the mutant dog at the end it's just a distraction you know yeah yeah, I think at least in the first season you had stuff like the Golem episode yeah. where they took the the sci-fi aspect and kind of tied that into this this uh uh antisocial kid yeah. who wanted revenge on people, which was really interesting. That's a great example. However, yeah. however on the other side, this season we did get chainsaw knees. So <laughs> I feel like I can only complain so much. Yep. <laughs> Someday you'll have to bring him back, man. One bad day, Chainsaw oh, Knee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chainsaw Knees is coming back. This is why no one in DC Comics will call me back, because I keep leading with, hey, you guys have this great character that nobody's doing anything with. Yeah. And I keep... <clears throat> I'm not sure if I want to go back to DC anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, if, if anyone listening wants to get into some inside baseball, but... Uh, you know, if you're a regular listener, you hear me complain about the lack of marketing, confusion, publishing level, and sales are down. Uh, you know, my book is this huge hit, 
but I feel very alone. Um, like, I don't get invited to the, you know, the parties and the meetings and red carpet events and stuff. Uh, I was watching uh, that it's a documentary on uh, DC uh, Comics um, on HBO. I forget what it's called. It's only three episodes, and it's, it's okay. But all these interviews, all these documentaries. Oh, I talked about this last episode where I'm like, man, when do these things oh, get yeah, filmed, yeah. and why am I always missing? And I joked that, oh, maybe it's because <laughs> I'm short. I, sh- I shoot from the hip, and I don't always say the right thing, or I, I don't know. My sense of humor wouldn't be like. Um, but yeah, it, it does hurt a little bit when it's like, man, my money makes you guys so much. My book makes you guys so much money. Why can't you? reach out make me feel a little bit more needed included in some of these decisions you know i feel like i've forced this book on you you're all grateful for it but because i'm sort of a lone wolf because i you know i don't have an inker i don't have a writer except for me so i don't really need a lot of maintenance so it leaves me under the mm-hmm. radar which is a good and bad thing you know it's great getting creative stuff done but it's bad because it's a little bit lonely um right and i don't want to complain about PC giving me the keys to the kingdom. Of course they did. But yeah, some of the stuff just bums me out. So taking a break to do Zorro and the stuff that we're gearing up for the Kickstarter and then the direct market launch. We're going to get Adam Hughes variant covers, Ryan um, Sook, all kinds of big names. I tried to get Frank Miller to do a variant, but uh, I haven't heard back yet. But I think I'm going to be making more money on Zorro per page. Um, And when I do a following book, uh, with you called The Last Driver. I don't know what that's going to make, but pretty sure it'll be comparable to Batman. So I'm thinking like, man, do I really want to go back to DC? I know I set up this uh, sure. Superman thing, but... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a... <laughs> if you never go back, that's a great fuck you to end on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my plan was the, the fuck you book would be the next one where I set up the Justice League and then I just end it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh huh. Yeah. Like leaving a ending a book with the reader really wanting is a great thing. I mean, you want to definitely satisfy the stuff you set up in the book, but having a really right. big tease at the end is obviously huge for readers to come back. Um, but I don't know, man. I mean, there's also this fear like if I step away from Batman for too long, when I come back, no one's going to care, you know? Mm. Whereas having, you know, making them spaced closer together is better because you don't get forgotten as much. Not that I'm just disappearing from comics. Obviously, I'm still doing Zorro and some other stuff, but I don't know. It's just a lot of, uh, a lot of things throwing, floating through my head lately. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like generally when someone has a pretty big run and then steps away, when they come back, it, it it's usually... Um, what's the word? I don't I don't feel like they get generally forgotten at all. It usually seems to be something that people are are excited about. Well, it so I feel like yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. When Fiona Staples and Ryan, um, uh, when they stepped away from Saga, it was supposed to be like a six month or a year gap, and it ended up being three years at least. Um, oh wow! And the sales on the floppies are just not what they used to be. Now, granted, the industry really? is just different now. Sales are sort of lower overall. But I'm curious when Saga, when this new volume of Saga comes out, that's on shelves at bookstores, if that will sell just as well as everything else, you know? 
Um, yeah. Because I think Saga made most of his money just in trades, which makes sense. Um, right. Brian K. Vaughn. Sorry, that's the writer. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> comics is a very much like, there's not a lot of loyalty in comics. It's very much, what have you done for me lately? And if sure. you're valuable, it means you have to have done something valuable in the past six months. If you take a year off comics completely, I feel like you lose 50% of your readers. If you take a two years off, you've lost 90% of them. Yeah. not Honestly, not even just readers, but people that you know in the industry, yeah. frankly. Like, I, uh, even for me, I've... You know, after after the apprenticeship, which, if you can believe it, is going to be ten years next year. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I pretty quickly did three books yeah. for Oni, for Waxwork, and for IDW, yeah. and taking out Waxwork because they're more of a record company and and aren't keyed into to uh, the comic yeah. stuff. Uh, since I, after I finished, and I also did some other stuff. <clears throat> I worked at Boom. I did some w, w, WWE stuff, and I did some covers and whatnot. And then I did Bloody Hell. And in the year, in the two years it took me to do Bloody Hell, basically everyone that I knew at all the companies got fired <laughs> or like left. So it's like yeah. any connections that I, editorial connections I had at these companies, they're all gone. Yeah. And so there's a certain level of like, all right. I mean, is this back to zero now? Do I I now need to go and start introducing myself to people again? Like, what's the? And it's I, and it's not just. I think this happens to everybody because, like, it, 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 comics. I think the the higher ups turn over yeah. so quickly, and sometimes it happens in the middle of books. I've heard stories of people who are doing books. They change editorial in the middle, and then they they cancel the yeah. book or whatever. It's you know, it's it's crazy stuff. You no, know, that's an excellent point, and um. I think the thing that it makes me think about is the most reliable people that are going to be important to your career are going to be your readers, obviously, and the employees of mm -hmm. comic shops. Um, yeah. I think that the guy who's making not a lot of money working in a comic shop who's just really good at customers, putting labeling in boxes, whatever it is, that guy, if he's on board with your book, I know a lot of people like that who love pushing White Knight because they can sell the hell out of it. Those people probably have their jobs longer than the average editor in comics do. So mm -hmm. if you're really touching people in the right way and really creating a, a following, it sort of doesn't matter who the editors are. But I guess I should say it should, shouldn't matter because the people that are really fans of yours are in comic book shops and a lot of them aren't going anywhere. Like they're true believers. Um, whereas a lot of the creatives that you work with or even the editors get shuffled through in and out like crazy but obviously you need to get through that first barrier to get to the shops so yeah i don't know just sort of thinking yeah. out loud yeah it's a strange it's it's a strange industry it's it's similar i feel like it's similar to movies in that sense where it's like the heads of studios change so frequently and people you're talking to about one thing just yeah. leave and then your project's dead and um, I don't know if you heard about what's going on at IDW, where their yeah. originals, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And they were canceled. Yeah, basically. And so uh, everything that was in production, it seems like they just killed. Yep. Um, 
which is it's wild. I don't know what's going on if they're if they're going to keep doing that stuff, but it sounds like they're turning back towards more licensed stuff. You know, it's it's frustrating because yeah. these companies, the companies and the people making the books, right? They want to be able to tell these new stories, but like it rec- cultivating that stuff takes time, and if you, if you don't get the support from the people who are giving you the money to create these mm-hmm. books I don't, I don't mean i don't mean the editor i mean like higher than editorial yeah. <clears throat> then it's like yeah it's 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 really tough to to make an impression if you don't have the support of the of the company that's asking you to yeah. do it yeah i have a lot of um personal feelings about idw um i knew chris Ryal, who's big out of there there for many years did mm-hmm. a star trek book called Borg. it's the one shot that was really fun um I've always liked them. I like the idea of them. Uh, but when my editor, Mark Doyle, left at DC, Mark started Black Label. And then Maggie left, my personal editor, um, White Knight. Uh, both of them got me started doing my own Batman stuff. So even though I don't talk to them very often, you know, if they're listening, I really can't praise them enough. They both went to IDW. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maggie was... Just, when she was editing the entire White Knight line, she was still an associate editor. Like she wasn't even promoted to a normal editor, so she probably wasn't making that much money. Oh wow! So when she yeah. left to go to IDW, like part of me felt like, yeah, if you're not being respected at DC, then you should leave. You know, no offense to DC. Obviously, I've done well there, but they have a blind spot. She's caught in it. You should go. And when she went to IDW, I was like, wait a minute, that's a sinking ship. <laughs> They're in debt. Uh, there's no rudder. I mean, I know that they went over there thinking that they could maybe try to turn IDW into Vertigo and reinvent it or something. And there's this idea when you hire an editor like Mark Doyle, who has all these connections like me and Scott Snyder, you think, well, Mark is going to bring a lot of his friends over to IDW. But I didn't do anything for IDW, and I don't know if Scott did. Um, so I was like worried for, for Maggie, like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Hmm. You know, I don't think she really wanted to be interested in hearing too much. And I don't blame her, honestly, you know, and it's none of my business. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, she moved, got like a double promotion. She went from being an associate editor to group editor, which is two promotions. Great. But now at the hmm. same time, but the every other publisher being in trouble, if your label is group editor, well, there, there's less positions available for that. Uh, and will you get the paycheck you deserve? Like you almost sort of... Um, worry for anyone who's advancing in right now inside the offices are are you promoted so high that you're unhirable at this point you know right it's really yeah. weird math going on right now and you know obviously i, I wish maggie and mark the best maggie's one of the best editors i've ever had period maybe the best honestly um so i hope it works out but yeah well going through san diego this year i walked through the idw booth um and owning a booth space is like having a claim on real estate, like you own a, you know, a mine or an oil well. So you don't want to not use all of it because you might lose it. So they put up some stuff there, but it was very empty. It's huge amount of square footage. I didn't see very many comics at all there. And it's like, did you guys just throw this together because you didn't want to lose your space? I mean, what what's happening here? You know? So I don't know. It's just yeah. a lot of these strange indicators of where the industry is at right now. Yeah, there's definitely some... Uh growing pains happening in what direction i don't know yeah. but you know yeah i think 
Um, I've heard that. Oh, I was just going to say, I've heard something similar in the uh, science industry as well, where there was a lot of people for a while. I don't know if it's still happening as much, but um, where a lot of people were staying in school to get their PhD. And then when they were coming out to find jobs, they they couldn't get hired because they were too qualified for the jobs that were available. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know if that's happening as much, but it was for a while. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's the same kind of thing where it's like you know you've spend your time for for one re- for uh, you've you get to a certain point that you've been trying to yeah. achieve, but does that end up hurting you when you have to now pivot and 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 move? And it's 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 a tough thing that that sucks to think about. Yeah, because you'd think you you'd hope that you could it would be a constant stair stepping up instead of stair stepping down. Right. You know? Yeah, it's like you spend all this money going to college and you have all these huge degrees you show up you know in publishing ready to kick ass but the industry is not as healthy as you thought it was and getting hired is not as easy as you want it to be and congratulations on your triple degree but you're unhirable is require more money now to pay off college you know so you're gonna just find another industry that's connected but not comics or not publishing you know it's a yeah yeah, that's the but sort of the problem with art school or any kind of course that teaches you comics is they overpromise you. You know, like the enthusiasm level in college for comics is probably amazing. Uh, but when you arrive, like like we said last, it's like Maximus getting home and seeing his dead wife hanging from a door jam. <laughs> like, what the hell? I, I was so pumped for this. What is this smoking ruin of this industry that I, what did you guys do while I was gone? Jesus yeah um yeah and that's been yep me being a broken record 20 years now like the the problems i encounter in comics it's not necessarily an individual person that annoys me or is a roadblock because people filter in and out all the time like if you don't like someone in the industry they're probably going to be gone with four years because you can't make money then the industry is going to kick you out you're going to find reason to move on so i try not to let that stuff bother me but the annoying thing that just keeps following me is competence. You know, people, uh, maybe they're not being paid enough, so they aren't putting in their A effort, in, or maybe they're overloaded and they mm-hmm. can't put in as much work per project. Like, that's the villain that's always on my shoulder in comics. And it's just a constantly, like, me throwing my hands in the air and being like, what the hell, <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm sure I dip right. into this talking point a lot on this podcast, so I won't do it again. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, my the only thing I can really speak to as far as that goes is I have worked with some great yeah. people. Um and a lot of them I can't figure out why they are not working at a higher level, if that yeah. makes sense. Um like I've worked with some people who are independent whatever their position happens to be editorial independent editors who are fantastic and i don't know why these they're not working for marvel or dc or something if if they're putting in the effort that they seem to be putting in for not that you know for for um independent or or uh freelancing editorial jobs and stuff like that i don't know maybe i it's it's strange because the people they're out there and why they're not more prominently positioned i don't know if it's just the nature of the business and 
there only being so many spots. Are you talking but, about uh, creators or employees of companies? Like uh, basically uh, editorial okay. down. So like great editors, letterers, uh, colorists, et cetera, et cetera. I've worked with really great people who seem to only have a cer- have can't seem to get past a certain uh, right. ceiling, and I don't know why. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting. Um, I've hired a lot of artists to do different variant covers over the years, um, and some of them are people who were big in the eighties. And now the word is on the street is, oh, this guy's amazing. Why can't he get work? So I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll hire him to do covers. So I do. And then the guy can't use email very well. <laughs> He's slow. I got to write him three times. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be trying to get a lot of work uh, anymore. And get, granted, some of these guys are in their 50s and 60s and 70s. But there's a reason why some of them sort of disappear. I think it has to do with age and their commitment level. Um, and their sure. slow speed and not their drawing speed. It's like, how quickly do they respond to you? Can they fit this in their schedule? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I thought it would be easier to scoop up a bunch of really talented guys from the 80s, but, and in theory, it should work. But when you actually deal with them one on one, a lot of them are like, it's like, oh, this is why you're not getting hired as much. <laughs> you know, it's kind of your fault too, buddy. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know the the business is going to change, and eventually it's going to be you and me who aren't getting hired because we don't know how to use thought mail or whatever. Thought mail. <laughs> oh man, I uh, wrote a. This is why I got off social media. Someone accused me of being racist the other day. It's so stupid. Uh, I wrote this um, this list on Instagram, um, uh, stories. So you know, gets deleted in twenty four hours probably the safest place for a lot of my, my, my comments. And I wrote a list of things I was right about in the industry and the things I was wrong about, you know, cause I try, try to keep it real. And, uh, first thing I was right about was eventually publishers will go overseas to hire cheap talent, which is a fact that that is happening. And 99% of the comments mm-hmm. are like, Oh yeah, you know, good job. Thank you for being honest, blah, blah, blah. And one person wrote, this is really insulting to everyone overseas also kind of racist and i'm like what are you talking about and i didn't engage this person and i was like oh yeah this is why i'm off twitter because for an hour now i'm thinking should i respond to this person i don't know and it starts eating right. away at you and you're yeah. not sleeping as well it's like so stupid how this shit that infects you and uh they started getting dogpiled on by people who were like are you nuts like clearly this isn't racist like probably not cool that uh people are being underpaid overseas and if anything this is like promoting the idea that everyone should be paid more no matter what country you're in and just because you're in a different country doesn't right, mean you're a yeah. different race i mean there's all kinds of ways to attack that stupid argument um and i also thought if i actually thought someone said something racist i'd probably just give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that i that they didn't mean it you know but to like go in hard mm-hmm. online and attack someone that you think is being racist, um, I don't know. It just shows that you're not trying to have an honest conversation. You know, it's like you're looking to find someone to dunk on. And uh, no amount of my good response to you is possibly going to win you over. It's just going to be uh, a 
fight in the schoolyard and everyone's just going to want to start cheering, you know? Yeah, I think especially with a comment like that, I I think it requires a lot of mental backflipping <laughs> yeah. to yeah. get to the point where you would perceive it yeah. being racist. So, uh, yeah, I... Yeah, and I don't know the the race or gender of this person who wrote. To be honest, and, and please, it's called X now, Sean. It's oh not yeah, Twitter anymore. Man, I was a defender of Elon for a, a while, and I, I had to pull out of that the last few months. I don't know what the hell's wrong with him now. Yeah, he's uh, he's something. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's a good place to end it. Yep. Uh, we've finished up season two. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. I, I was tr- debating whether we should do wait and do Return of the Joker until after we finish the series, but chronologically, Return of the Joker does come out at, after season two. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to do that next. So we're going to take a bit of a break. Yep. Then we're going to come back and we'll do uh, Return of the Joker, which, frankly, I don't know if that's going to kill our enthusiasm for doing the rest of the series no, because a, Return of the Joker it's is a five out of five. kind of the high point. No, I know that. I know. Okay. But what I'm saying is like, oh. I don't know if we're going to watch that and go like, I mean, what are we going to get out of this show that we haven't gotten out of Return of the Joker? So if but, we move the grail that is Return of the Joker to the end of the trail here, which is after season three, that's going to motivate us to keep trudging through this desert. <laughs> maybe. However, right. I will say there are only... 13 episodes in season three and so that's only we're going to do uh as i said before we're going to do the final episode and we're going to do the the justice league you know coda episode yeah okay so that's 14 so it'll be seven episodes for us we can do it through season three so i I think that's no no problem yeah okay that's not so bad but uh yeah that's the the plan moving forward and then uh after batman beyond we will uh We'll see. We'll see where the winds take us. Cool, man. But uh, uh, thank you guys for listening, as always. Yeah, thank and, you, Clay. Uh, thank you, Sean, for joining me. Thank you, and we will see you guys next time. Let the good die, bro.